tetragrammaton. to start the day yes goodness good hang beautiful i was yeah. going to actually suggest that we start with a a little guided meditation that will expand our consciousness i love it you up for it yes sir okay we we'll close our eyes yeah imagine yourself imagine yourself filling this room so you're no longer just in your body but you mm -hmm. expand out to the walls of the room mm-hmm and now expand it to the whole building. Fill yourself to the whole building. And now let's do the whole town that we're in. Fill ourselves out to the edges of the town. And now we can go out to the state, the whole state. I guess going to the whole state made me cough. <laughs> <clears throat> a lot of dust in the rest of the state. Mm. <laughs> so now we're in the state, and now we can expand mm. to the whole planet. We can fill the planet. Mm. And it feels good. It feels good to be out there. Mm. And now we can expand to the whole universe. And let's be free. And from that sense, we can... You and I can now come back and have a conversation. We are now united mm -hmm. in this uh, cosmic yeah. way, <laughs> which yes. is a really nice way to mm -hmm. to get things that. rolling. Do you see a spiritual dimension in your work? Absolutely. At this point in my life, I'm looking for the blend of my spiritual life more overtly into my work and yes. i've never done that yes even the idea of starting in that way that's a gorgeous beautiful way to begin i was raised as a as a christian so my grandmother would start everything with a prayer mm -hmm. and uh for whatever reason i made the decision that my spirituality was private and i would you know, sneak it into my work through my, through my being mm -hmm. more than like, you know, or overtly in that way that you just started. And it's like, just a beautiful, that's a beautiful way to begin. So cool. cool. And, and by the way, yeah, it's just as good, you know, like, yeah. like it's, it's, uh, I don't think people like to be told what, right. what right. to think, exactly how to act. It's like, yeah we embody we live the way we live yeah. and it embodies an energy yeah. and we bring absolutely. that to everything we do we can't absolutely. help it you can't not can't right absolutely so that's For what i'm sure. asking yeah. if you so if you live uh if there's an aspect of spirituality in your life it's bound to arrive in your yes, work yes absolutely for sure i would say everything that i have ever done has always been centered on a base of contribution right you know i've learned really young i was taught really young in my family that you know your your actions are inexorably bound to every other person right so 
I was always, you know, starting with my family. I wanted to create things that, you know, wouldn't embarrass my mother at work. Mm -hmm. Right. So I always felt the sense of responsibility and connection. So in, in terms of my, my spirituality, it's the core of everything that I do, always trying to balance my desires as an individual with my responsibility to the collective. It always has seemed from the beginning that you've had uh, an ability to entertain. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember my first experience was your first single. Mm -hmm. I remember when that, when I heard that and I loved it mm -hmm. and it was over the, the I Dream of Genie. I Dream of Genie, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, which was so cool. Like it was yeah, just such yeah, a cool, yeah. so everything about it was cool. Yeah, that's Jazzy and Jeff. You, yeah, yeah, and your character mm -hmm. was really different. I remember yeah. it wasn't bragging. Yeah. It wasn't about you. Yeah. You were making fun of yourself. More, yeah, self-deprecating was like the, and that was a, that yeah. was a, a like a taboo. Yes, in hip hop. <laughs> no, seriously. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, it it was um, you know, my my family and I talk about this all the time. Like, life is hilarious to me. It takes everything I have not to laugh at the things that happen in life, because I know people take them really seriously, yeah. but it has been such a gift to me throughout my life and career yes. that like shit is hilarious. Yeah, and ridiculous. And so Can't believe it. It is, it is absolutely absurd. Yeah. And, you know, we can be infuriated by the absurdity or we can enjoy it. And, it's been such a, a gift for me that, you know, the more difficult and the more tragic that things seem, my mind, uh, maybe partially as a defense mechanism, but partially as just how I see the world, yeah. things are hilarious to me. Yeah. Like how all of this stuff comes together and happens and how God or the universe or spirit or whatever you believe, how it brings all the things together is amazing and hilarious to me. When you were a kid, did you want to be an actor? Was that your dream in life? I think, I think based on my childhood, I, I had an early recognition that nobody's mad when they're laughing, mm -hmm. that um, nobody's dangerous when they're laughing, right? And as much as you could keep people entertained, the safer you'd be in this world. So I directly correlated being funny with safety. And then later it became more conscious and directly correlated with love, mm -hmm. that people love you when you make them laugh, right? And I had a direct, you know, experience in, in my childhood, you know, with, with, you know, my, my father was abusive and, you know, I, I grew up in, in Philly and, you know, fighting was a real thing. So comedy and love was always above fear and force to me. So it's like, I picked funny as the way I was going to move through this world.
and it worked. Yeah, it definitely it worked. worked. And it then worked for you. funny combined with story, right? Like I learned really young that, hey, let me tell you a story is magical for yeah. human connection. And just as my way of being and something that's really at the core of who I am, riveting people with a story and comedy is a part of my blueprint. It's, it's what I came here as. Mm -hmm. That's a big chunk of what I'm here to do. Beautiful. And yeah. in listening to your first two singles, mm -hmm. it definitely sounds like you're inspired by Slick Rick. And Slick oh, Rick God, was yes, known yeah. as the, st the like that was his yeah, whole thing was sure. the storyteller. Yeah, absolutely. It was, everything was like once upon a time. You know, yeah, it, felt, yeah, felt, it, yes, felt, it feels absolutely. like once upon a time. Yeah. And there's also something beautiful about that in that the idea that the stories are like mythology, they're, they're bigger than what's real. Yes, absolutely. And the way that my mind works, I recognized that the stories that I tell myself directly affect my feelings. Yeah. Di directly affect my productivity, yes. my manifestation. Um, so I've always been very careful to tell myself stories that are positive motivation. Even um, when you were young? Even like, yeah, when I was, you know, by the time I was seven or eight years old, I was deeply in touch with my imagination as a powerful tool mm -hmm. so to help me feel good yeah like i could i could hide in my mind mm -hmm. you know really young yeah i was a, i was a fearful child so escaping into the stories and television was big for me to like go into the creation of a story in my mind was a huge, I guess, safe haven, mm -hmm. you know, that I could, I can paint delicious pictures in my mind and spend hours and hours in there without a necessity for anybody else to be involved with it. Beautiful. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky. And yeah. And yeah. No, it was definitely a, a magical blessing. It was like there was almost nothing in the world that was so definitely nothing I experienced at that time that was so bad that I couldn't get away from it in my mind. Beautiful. Yeah. And and no one taught you this. This was just something that you. Yeah, it was really an. It, it, it was it was very natural for me to like spin tales as a child. My mother loved it. When I would make up stuff and, you know, one of the games I would play with my mother is I would make up stories and she would have to figure out which part of it was true yeah. <laughs> and which part of it I was making up and, you know, wh whether or not there was something she needed to do about it. Yeah. But it was always like the, the look on a person's face when they're riveted and then when a punchline lands is is like ecstasy for me. Tell me about um, how do you view success? Like what do you see success as? And has it changed from when you were young? Yeah, it's, de it's definitely uh, transformed. I wanted to be number one. I wanted to be the biggest 
actor on earth manifest destiny like the, which you did the biggest the best everything <laughs> yes, you, did, you did and you did all those yeah, things yeah. <laughs> so you wanted that and, i wanted and that you manifested that. i manifested that yeah. and the 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 thing that happened is i thought with that would come love protection you know like yeah. <laughs> and you realize uh or i realized yeah. at least that you get to the top of all of that and you're still the same insecure little boy you were before you did all of that. Absolutely. N now you just don't have any distractions from yes. it anymore. Yes, and now the version I've seen and experienced is you can get hopeless because I spent all of my time and effort mm -hmm. to solve the problem. Yep. And I did it. Yep, absolutely. And it didn't do it anything. No. Nope. So, and now what do I do? And, and it can make it worse. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You, yeah. you can become hopeless because yes. you're thinking yeah. I have the solution and you go for the solution and you spend your whole life to achieve the solution yeah. and the solution is not the solution. Yep. And I got it exactly how I wanted beyond yes. anything I could have couldn't possibly even, couldn't even make it up. Yes. Right. It was perfect and beyond. Yes. And still didn't Same. solve the problem, you know? So there's a an existential terror that kicks in when you realize there's there's actually nothing in the world to solve that problem right so that's that is the you know the introduction to the abyss yeah in some ways you can't really get depressed until your dreams come true. Yes. <laughs> right. It's like when your dreams come true, yeah. you realize, hmm, yes. now what? Uh-oh. <laughs> now what? I call, I call it, so the, 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 the two places that I think you can get depressed, one is rock bottom. When you, you, you hit rock bottom and literally you're in like the worst circumstance you could have ever possibly imagined. And you know, you, you, you hear that in AA, they talk about rock bottom is when your life begins. And there's a corresponding place that I call cliff top, <laughs> right? Yeah, where there's nowhere to go. There's right no, now. right, yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's the both ends of existence where there's nowhere to go, yeah. but inward, yeah. right? And it's, it's hard to explain and you you can't even truly have a conversation if someone hasn't experienced one or the other. No, it's completely unrelatable yes. to, to everybody unless, unless you've had that experience. And that's another thing is like when you're a kid and you have these dreams of being success and then you get them, who do you talk to? Like no one teaches you how to, how to act when you're Absolutely. successful, how to be, Absolutely. what to worry about. And your world changes mm -hmm. and it's really lonely. Yeah. I remember one time I was going through, I was going through something and I called Quincy Jones because Quincy is always my guy, like mm -hmm. giving me perspective throughout, throughout my life. And I was going through something and it was, it was at the, you know, the top of the top post Independence Day, Men in Black, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like I was you know, experiencing everything I'd ever dreamed. And I called Quincy and God, I wish I don't even remember what it was for, but I called him and I laid it all out. And he paused for a second. He said, man, what the fuck am I supposed to tell you? He said, I wouldn't have made none of them decisions <laughs> that you made. Yeah, that worked. That worked. Yes. Right. That he was worked. like, he was like, you know, 
you're on the dreaded island. Yeah. And I was, I'll never forget that he called it the dreaded island. Yeah. Right. And it's when like, there's really, there's no one that can, can help you. And you, it's the realization that you are the first time you've ever happened. Yes. And people can give you advice and people can make suggestions and yes. you can look at other people's stories, yes. but the next moment and the next choice you're going to make has never happened before no. and only you can choose it. Yeah, it's true. And I'll tell you something, I think a crazy thought of mm -hmm. mine is that everyone experiences that. Yes. <laughs> because <laughs> because we are all mm -hmm. singular beings. Yes. Yeah. And we all have this singular experience of the world. Mm-hmm. And all of the best advice we get are from people based on their experience of There's the world, not yours. Not yours, absolutely. And we're all, we all have our own version. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a part of the existential terror, right? Is that, you know, the deepest reality that I've had to come to grips with is that I am alone but I'm alone with everybody else. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're all alone. We're all alone, we're all, we're we're all alone, alone. together. Yeah. yeah, and we're all scared. And we're all scared, right? <laughs> yeah. And it is, you know, having to, having to reconcile reality yeah. is, it can be horrific, yeah. you know? It's a lot easier to delude ourselves than it is to take a really cold, hard look at reality. And one of the things, you know, for me was the, you know, my father died in uh, 2016. And that was the first time it ever dawned on me in my life that everybody's gonna die. Yeah, It had never crossed my mind yeah. that everybody I know and everybody I love, everything I've created, is moving towards disintegration. Yes. Right? That birth, life, and death are inexorable. Yes. And it was like, my father died, and it was like, I just remember I looked at Jada after the funeral, and it was like, oh shit, she's going to die. <gasps> and it, it was, it was, it was a painful realization. It was, you know, a couple of months after that where everybody I looked at, I realized they were going to die. Yeah, and when you look in the mirror. And when I look in the mirror, yeah, that guy. I, everyone, that yeah, guy. It's, it's, a, it's wild. It's a really wild thing, but, you know, it after, you know, I, I settled into it and, and, you know, I had a few months where it was just all I could think about with everybody. And then I came back to, okay, so that's the case. There's no way around it. So now, how do I want to live? Yeah. How beautiful. do I want to interact beautiful. with people? Beautiful. With that truth. I'm yes. not, there's, there's no way around it. You can't escape it. You can delude and not think about it and all of that. But one day you're going to get sucker punched. So you can just wait for the sucker punch or you can begin to lean into the mystery yeah. and get torched a little bit in the process of trying to reconcile the mystery and to be able to be with life on life's terms, you know? So that, that's been the last probably 
two years of my life in full consciousness of trying to look into the mystery and be okay with it. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And you know, nothing has changed. There's another part of it. Your, mm -hmm. your perception of it changed. Yes, absolutely. But this was always, it's this exactly, was always the case yeah. anyway. So it's, <laughs> exactly. not, it's not like um, you didn't, you, you discovered it for yourself. For myself, yes, <laughs> absolutely. That's just how it is. That's just how it is and how it's always been, you know? And it's like, can you be okay with it with, without diluting, without uh, medicating, without escaping? Right? Can you stand firmly in the, you know, the truth of what this place is and still be okay with it? Yeah. And, and the, the, you started by talking about laughing at it all. Yes, absolutely. That's a really good way. No, no, laughing is fantastic. It's there's, a great way. There's very, very few things above marveling at the humor and absurdity of life. There's very few things that, that match that. Especially collective laughs. I would, if I would have to say there were a single thing that was my favorite aspect of human existence is collective laughs. When a group of people burst into laughter at the experience of a singular joke moment yeah. experience that that is the is right up there with sex <laughs> yeah. well it's also contagious yeah yeah you know, when exactly. you're in a room full of people yeah. laughing yeah you're more apt to laugh absolutely you're, you're, other people laughing gives you permission to laugh yes exactly yeah, i remember so. the first time i went to a, a chanting like a uh it's called kirtan where people chant oh yeah no i love kirtan and yeah first time i went the person who's kind of leading the chant chants, mm -hmm. and then everybody in the room answers at least chants back. Yep, yep. And I was so self conscious, and so mm -hmm. no one's listening to me. I know. <laughs> They're all doing it, everyone's doing their own thing. Yeah. But yep. the idea of singing in public yep. felt so uh, uncomfortable yep. and yep. embarrassing. Yeah. And then started doing it little by little. Everybody was doing it, and I'm doing it, and doing it, and doing it. And by the end of it, you're like, completely high yes it's a beautiful yes, experience it is a it is a a gorgeous churning of human energy towards joy and connectivity it's like that that ecstatic connection is you know the 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 top of what we can experience here tell me about um you had Tell me if the number's right. Mm -hmm. 12 number one movies in the summer, 12 years in a row. Yeah, I had uh, eight consecutive, and eight. then I had a, one number two in there. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so eight eight consecutive uh, number ones in, in every, in every year, year. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah, that's a- uh, It's a crazy number. Yeah, that's a hard one to beat. <laughs> was, it, was it intentional? Um, and if so, tell me about like- what went into the the thought process to allow it to happen? Yeah, I had decided that, you know, I wanted to be the biggest movie star in the world. And in order to be the biggest movie star in the world, you had to make the biggest movies in the world. And, you know, I, I guess the, the science that I put to it was trying to figure out what made movies number one. Mm -hmm. So during that time, I looked at the, the top 10 
movies and 10 out of 10 were special effects movies. And nine out of 10 were special effects movies with creatures. And eight out of 10 were special effects movies with creatures and a love story. So, you know, from Independence Day was a no-brainer, Men in Black was a no-brainer, iRobot, you know. And the I've always, Star Wars was like my favorite movie ever, and Eddie Murphy was my favorite actor. So I wanted to be Eddie Murphy in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the early formula that I was trying to create. So, you know, movies like I Am Legend, you know, you know, even Men in Black, it's a love story, but it's between me and Tommy Lee Jones, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. that the but, same buddy format of a, of a buddy movie. Yeah. It, uh, buddy movies function under the same uh, structural components as a love story. Yeah. You know, so it was, you, you know, for me, it was also special effects travel globally. They don't need the language. You don't have mm-hmm. to understand the language mm-hmm. to be in awe of a creature and understand the. And did, in each of these cases, did you find the project? Like, were these projects all that were out there, and you decided this is the one I'm picking? Yeah. So I think you met my. Yeah, I'm sure you met my manager a couple of times. Uh, JL James Lasseter. I just saw him last week. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um, JL was the uh, master of taste, right? So I'd be working and JL would read everything. So he's a really prolific uh, reader. So he'd read 10 scripts Mm -hmm. in a week. Mm -hmm. And we had our template of what we were looking for. So he would take 10 scripts and bring it down to three. And then I would read the three and we would would make a decision uh, from there. So it it was, um, you know, his taste was leading in that uh, early part of my career. And then in terms of when you would pick a script, how much, and I imagine it would be different from project to project, but Mm -hmm. how much would your character change based on you playing the character as opposed to the generic version written in the script? So usually, I'm trying to think, if there were, you know, Pursuit of Happiness was probably the only movie in those early movies that was written for an African-American character. So I was always changing it from, you know, however it had been written with the writer hoping they were going to get Tom Cruise and ended up with me. Yeah. Uh, so And it worked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it worked out. It's you cool. know, so yeah, so it was always um, having to adjust to fit an African-American character but you know for me it was that was what i did from from fresh prince of bel-air uh working in television you're changing everything like all day long every day and you get used to looking at a scene going to the side with two or three writers making the adjustments and shooting it in 20 minutes so i was wildly prepared to make the adjustments to be able to make them quickly and a part of my concept of going into these circumstances was to be able to do as much of everything that needed to be done as possible. I wanted to understand the cameras. I wanted to understand the marketing. I wanted to understand everything involved to be able to capture myself in the best light possible mm-hmm. without having to depend 
on other people. So I was educating myself with the full process of filmmaking. I had two or three of my friends that were writers and I brought people out from Philly to keep my voice you know, in alignment with the right slang and all of that. And for those first probably four or five movies, I was bringing my own team to make the adjustments that needed to be made. And to be able to make them on the fly was critical also. And would you also bring jokes? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was the, the, the flavor was what I was responsible for. Yeah. Uh, I would say if there were there were two things that I was doing most in the early part of my career was the comedic flavor of the characters and the marketing. I have a marketing mind. When I start a project, I'm already imagining how I'm going to sell it. Mm -hmm. So those were my superpowers and then staffing my weaknesses around that. Cool. Did you ever have any... Uh difficult times with have you have you come across the arrogance of some of the business people in Hollywood oh yeah 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 I would I would say that I would say the big the the big arrogance that can be deadly in in these circumstances is people thinking it's the business of movies and not the movie business right it's secondarily a business you don't yes. you don't you don't have a business Without if the you art. don't have if the, the art's art it's not right it, yes. you got nothing yes right and and trying to get people to understand in movie making in general that the vortex the point where everything comes together is between action and cut if you don't get it between action and cut, Doesn't you can't matter. have it, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and you know that arrogance that you know people think other things are more important than the art, and it's like I've had to learn how to not make people feel disregarded. Yes, yes, it's like you know, absolutely, I understand how important the release date is. Yes. But can you understand that we literally yes. don't have time to make the art good? Yes. And if it's the art's <laughs> not good, you have you, nothing. You have nothing. You have nothing. You have nothing. And it's yeah. like, and it's such a, it's a, it's such a strange mindset to see people over and over and over again, double down and triple down on Nothing. Yes. And it's because most businesses, mm -hmm. like if you're in the, uh, let's say it's Nike. You make Coca-Cola. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're just, you're just well, repeating. We're going to, let's, let's speed, let's get another machine to make more yes, Coca-Cola so we could have it in the stores <laughs> yeah. for Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. Yeah. And it's, but <laughs> they equate it to widgets. Yes, absolutely. It's just it, it's another not, product. And it's not. It's not. You it's know, not. It really is a totally different thing and i know it sucks for a lot of business minds because you actually can't get a hold of it you know yeah it's a you know it's a reason why some it's hard to get financing a lot for artistic projects because you it's not repeatable yeah right it's new every a movie is new every single time yes. and everybody tries to put in systems and they try to uh you know follow formulas yeah, and all and that it, yeah and it's like man no the most critical decision 
that will take something, you know, over the line or destroy it is in a magical moment that is captured in the creation of the art. Yes. You know, there's things like, you know, in uh, The Pursuit of Happiness, there's a moment in Pursuit of Happiness where I'm in the bathroom and there's there's just this an overhead shot and there's someone banging on the door laying my son is laying on my lap in the bathroom and just I stick my leg out and put my leg to hold the door right and it's such a subtle moment but for whatever reason it has a corresponding vibration in the human soul watching that and parents you're devastated it, but just that simple thing, and no, you can't plan that. No. It's the right? reality of the situation. Yeah, and yeah. something happens. That's another, that point yeah. of so much of what's good can't be planned. Can't be planned, right, you know. And it, it can be planned in a restaurant if you want to, like, you, you can plan the meals and yep. you can yep. lay it out and you can have a recipe and you have the seasoning and there's a there's a dish that, you know, is is repeatable, but not in the process of creating uh, art. But that's, I think that's what makes the professionals or the people who are great at it great is the amount of times that it magically works. Yes. Because they don't really control it either. You know, no one controls it. No one controls it. It's like the great jazz players. It's different every night. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Some nights are probably better than others, but the great jazz players, you're probably not going to be disappointed on any night. Yes, exactly. Even you start to recognize that even your mistakes can be beautiful. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. The humanity breathes in the mistakes. Yes, absolutely. It's when you you have different goals for what you're doing. And that's what's, that's what's happened to me as I've gotten older, wanting to be number one, yes. right? For as an ego process of gaining love and adoration and defense and then transforming into a desire for self-investigation in the process. Yes. That whether it's number one or number five or number 10, the the process of self-investigation and self-expression is always number one. You can't be anything but number one if you're using it to understand yourself and understand life and understand you know, humanity and connection and understand love. You're using it as a process of growth and expansion versus using it as an ego defense mechanism. Yes. When you're excited to share it with the world, mm-hmm. regardless, regardless, like, like it's yep. successful Absolutely. when you say, okay, we could send it out there. Yep. It's, it's already, it's already successful. successful. It's successful because what's in it is successful. Yep. Absolutely. You know, at this point in my age, I'm starting to realize that all the cliches are cliches because they're true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, the the really, you know, you hear people say it's in the process. And oh, it's not, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. It's like, oh shit, that's true. <laughs> and how you play the game 
determines whether or not you experience the broadness of winning versus a you're shooting for a single point yes that may not be what the universe it may not be the win that the yes. universe is offering yes. you and it's not sustainable at all at because all. it can't it, can. it can't be <laughs> it can't be exactly. whereas continuing to do your best absolutely bringing the most of yourself to absolutely. everything you do yep. you can do that as long as you want to do it you, for the rest of your life and yes. beyond yes yeah and for the viewer they can see an honesty in that absolutely at the core, everybody's trying to figure out how to be here. Yeah. How to be here, how to not be miserable. Yes. How to not drown in your loneliness. Yes. Right? So everybody's trying to figure out what are the rules yeah. to, of, be, to be okay. To be okay. Yeah. And for me, there's nothing like creating a piece of art and the relationships that come from that, the questions that come from that, the self-exploration and the the revelation that come from that. It's like the art of manifesting gifts yes. is like there's, there's, you know, the whole of what I've needed to learn about life has been in the process of trying to figure out how to make something that touches people's hearts. Yeah. It's great when it does that, yeah. when you're making it and you have something doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, something works. Yep. You That's put your foot out and put it on the door. door. Yes. And it's like, like and it's <laughs> you, you don't, you, you probably didn't even think didn't about think, it. Not at all. You just it just happened. What, it yep. was just, you were being, you were just being natural. Absolutely. And it creates these moments. Yeah. And I'm starting to think also that, that, the best things are a series of moments, mm-hmm. maybe even bigger than the story. Like mm-hmm. if 10 events happen in a row yeah. and every one of them is compelling and you want to see whatever the next event's going to mm-hmm. be, even if it doesn't make sense doesn't, as a story, absolutely. it could still be good. It could still be good. Yes, absolutely. And that's like been, been a part of the expansion of what counts as successful for me in in my life and in my experiences and i'm i'm even not totally there but i'm right on the edge of the full acceptance that there's nothing but success yes well if you there sh- isn't anything if you else. show up you're right you're yep. successful you did it the work is to do it and it's like the universe doesn't offer you anything that you don't need. You might get offered a whole lot of shit you don't want. Yes. <laughs> but you know, there's there's nothing that could possibly happen that doesn't contain a gift that you need for your comprehension of how to be here joyfully. Yes. Every single thing that happens is designed beautifully for you. Your experience is perfect for whatever our shortcomings are, whatever our difficulties are, whatever intention we've put out. What comes back is a perfect curriculum for everything you've ever sought. Yes. And I'm, you know, I'm not a hundred percent there 
you know, but th- this- I don't know if we ever get 100% there. Yeah, yeah. We just keep getting think... closer. We just keep yeah, getting just closer. just keep getting closer. And but... having those revelations, like mm-hmm. when, when your dad passed and that experience is just like, oh, the world's completely different than I understood it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, th- <laughs> like, those oh, like, well, okay. oh, so let's, let's throw all view. that stuff away from before 2016. We're going to throw all that away. But yeah, def- just definitely coming into that space where I am- even starting to get a little bit of a smile when it gets hard. Yeah. A little bit of a yeah. Okay, let's let let's dance universe. Yes. Right? When when things go wrong, when things are not pretty, when things are the total opposite of what I want, there's a little bit of a giggle that starts to happen. And I'm trying to cultivate saying thank you out loud wow. in the face of adversity that's beautiful yeah that's and it's beautiful. uh yeah i'm not all the way there yet yeah, yeah, yeah. that's beautiful though. <laughs> but uh, you know it's a beautiful uh, practice i yeah. love the idea of that yep beautiful adversity idea. is a gift i wrote a section in the book where i talked about when something happens to you that uh, a tragedy happens yeah. to put yourself in a state of removing yourself from the situation Mm -hmm. and looking at it like, wow, I didn't expect that to happen to the hero in our movie. Yes, exactly. What's going to happen in the next scene? How's he going to get out of this? Absolutely, yeah. Because if you look back over your life for every tragic event that happened, it always led to something either that you needed to learn, a better situation, something that you were clinging to that gets pulled out of your hands absolutely leads you to be able to cling to the thing that you really wanted yes absolutely you know, it happens yeah. over and over again yeah it it's just we're too close to see too it close when it's to see it when it's happening yeah and it's like all you can think is oh my god i don't want this i don't want this i don't want this but you know being able to to settle into being able to look at those experiences I was gonna say minus the fear. It's not minus the fear. The fear can be there, but just not allowing it to make you run. Yes. And uh, Pima Pima Children calls it leaning into the sharp points. Beautiful. Yeah. So. Tell me about a little bit about acting. About going from, like, how is the actor in King Richard, oh my, different God. than the actor in Fresh Prince? Yes. Now that that. I I would say for every human writing your story down is critical. The process for me of writing my book, going through my childhood, talking to my brothers and sisters, talking to my mother and sisters, I think coming to the consciousness of how you define yourself is critical because it's kind of subconscious until you say out loud. Yes. You didn't things, know you knew it. You didn't know, right. You're, you're it was there. living it. Yes. You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're suffering the consequences of your story without actually saying it out loud, writing it down so you can hear how you're defining yourself. Yes. And a big part of writing my book was the realization that it's it actually is stories it's not experiences it's stories about 
experiences that you tell yourself. Yes. And when you actually look at it, 90% of the stories you tell about yourself won't stand up to scrutiny. Your brothers and sisters will say, well, hold on a second. No, that's, that's not what mom said. That's not right. You know, and you go through these things and I remember the, 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 what I did is I wrote my book and then I had two weeks, I called everybody that I mentioned in the book and I had them come to, so we could do a retreat and yes. I read everybody, every word that I said about them. Wow. And let people res- respond. Beautiful. And I hope you filmed that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, we did. Good. Yeah. And it, it was uh, the first time my mother and I, my father was abusive and it was the first time my mother and I had talked about it. And I described my mother in the, in the book as defiant. And she looked and she was like, what, what did I do that made you think I was defiant? And I said, well, you know, daddy would hit you and you would just stand there and look at him. And she said, I wasn't being defiant. She said, I knew that my kids could hear So I didn't want you to hear me scream. I didn't want you to think he was hurting me. And I was like, (gasps) that's wild. That's wild, right? So in my mind, the character of my mother was defiant. Yes. Right? But my actual- She was protective. (laughs) (laughs) She's like defiant. She was like, like, she would just, she was trying to protect her children, yeah, right? And it's like, you know, you go through your life with these stories and I was shocked by how much of my stories were fabricated yeah. at best. Yeah, reinterpretation <laughs> Reinterpreta- <laughs> to make it okay. To make it okay. That's how we do it. Yes. That's you know. how we do it. We see the world, yep. something happens. Absolutely. We immediately make up a quick story to explain, mm-hmm. oh, that's why that happened, but we don't know. No and idea. And forevermore, yep. we're living with this story. And we're, we're not seeing, we're not seeing people for who they are, they become characters in our stories that we demand they fit our interpretation more than, well, let me, let me just let it go and sit and be with the person. Let them tell me, yes. <laughs> you yes. know, who they are versus me casting them in a certain way in my narrative. So uh, that, that was a long way back to the, the King Richard question. I like, I, I guess you'd say I discovered my inner landscape during writing my book. And I realized it was a malleable landscape, that mm-hmm. it wasn't solid. Mm-hmm. What I thought of as my life and my story and me was actually not solid at all. It was, it was made up not unlike the character that I play in a movie where you take all of these character traits and you put them onto your consciousness and you walk around for a couple of months as that character. It's like my, my character was no different than that. You pick up these things and you, you're going to, you choose to be a certain way for certain reasons that may or may not have any bearing on what's true and authentic for you deep down at the core. 
so writing my book, I discovered my inner landscape. And what it did is it deepened my acting ability to be able to deliver an idea. I understood more about humanity and psychology by understanding myself. And then it was what actors call a toolbox. It's like my toolbox got so deep and rich and the types of subtle human emotions that I can deliver on camera now is beyond anything I've ever experienced. So beautiful. Yeah. It's, so beautiful it's, that you got to, exp you got to find all of it out. Yeah. And yeah. then apply it to something where we all get to enjoy it. Absolutely. You know, emancipation was really the, the first thing that I moved into uh, after King Richard and just my, my comprehension of human psychology and emotion is so rich. And then what happens is you play a character, someone like Peter with that in Emancipation, that level of experience and that suffering. And every, every time you interact with an individual's life in that way, it's like a new brushstroke on your soul. Yes. Right. And it's like a character playing a character when that kind of depth actually adds to your humanity and your personality, your comprehension, your ability to connect to a human and to, to, to find harmony. What I realized coming out of emancipation Sometimes you watch those types of movies, you experience those types of things. You can come out with anger. You can come out with hatred. But I found a whole other place in playing Peter where the, the most vicious, vile, hateful human, I can now see into the suffering of that being. And I've never been able to do that before. Yeah. I, can, I can sit across from anybody now and recognize the most vile, the most horrific perceptions and attitudes. I can see it as suffering. Yeah. I and can we, see it. And we don't know other people's experiences. Exactly. We don't exactly. know. We don't know how they see most people are doing their best. Yes. Doing their, I think everybody is doing the best they can. I think that's the nature of, you know, the, the human mind. You can't help but do the best that you can do. You can have, you know, your mind can be damaged and yeah. your best can be shit. Yeah. But it's, you know, I think that we are innately programmed to like do the best that we can do. Yeah. You know, and that was a part of my healing and my relationship with my father when I realized he was he was always doing his best. He was working 18 hours a day to like to feed his kids. And, you know, alcohol was how he was able to cope. And then that just led to other difficulties. But he was always doing his best. He was always reaching for love. He just, he, you know, he got into a, a difficult downward spiral. Mm -hmm. Was Ali the first character you played who was a real human being? 
as opposed to a, a written. Yeah, I think uh, Ali was Ali was yes, so two thousand. Yeah, it was before Pursuit. Yeah, so Ali was the first time that I played, and it was a, a living human that was going to sit and watch and lit and yeah. let someone we grew up, we all yeah. grew up with the, the most the most recognized human on earth at the time, right? You know, the most photographed human. How different is it preparing for? a role when it's someone that people know and have expectations yeah, of yeah. versus a guy in a movie. So there's 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 different benefits and difficulties, right? So the benefit is that you can ask the person, right? So you don't have to guess about the psychological movements. Um, if you can talk to the person, you can talk to their families, all of that. There's an actual person, there's books written on them. There's, there's less that you have to create as an actor. Whereas if you're playing another character, you have to make up their backstory and you have to make up their life experiences. So that part of the work is done when you're playing an actual person. Uh, the real, the, the difficulty in that though, is someone like Ali, people know exactly what his voice sounds like. So you know, I play Peter in, in Emancipation. Nobody knows no, anything. There's no image. Yeah, there's yeah, no image. There's there's, you know, I get to make it up. Yeah. But with, with Ali, it's like you don't want to get caught doing a, a caricature, which Ali, you know, because of the the sound of his voice and the brashness and and size of his personality, you can definitely get caught doing a caricature. You know, so it's those first couple of moments of the film. Can you give them something that transports them into your version, into your interpretation? Mm -hmm. And the fact that Ali was going to watch it. I didn't realize that when I took it. Yeah. And I found myself sitting in a theater behind Muhammad Ali. I was like, oh, no, this was an awful decision. (laughs) How cool was Ali, by the way? He was fantastic, man. Yeah. He was a... I remember we um, midway through shooting, you know, his family had asked me, they were like, look, just get him to move, get him to come and come to the gym. So it was like my job. So I'm trying to get him to come to the gym and we move around. So I walked in one day and he was sitting down and I tapped his stomach. Right? And I say, hey, champ, what's going on? What you, what you doing with that? And I said, he said, oh, this man, this ain't nothing but a young girl's playground. <laughs> so funny. So funny. But yeah, you know, it was like he was he was the the brightness of his personality and his joy for life was the thing that I wanted most to be able to capture. And it was, you know, as an actor, you're looking for that central core that you can relate to. And that playfulness and that funny, yeah, that joy of people was the central idea that I connected to, to, to build out, you know, my interpretation. Was the physical transformation difficult? Oh, that was excruciating. Yeah, that that was excruciating. So from the time I agreed to do it until we finished shooting was a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So I did other movies in between, but I was training, you know, for a year 
before we started and then six months up to and through the completion of principal photography. So it was a year of three days a week and then six months of six days a week. Yeah, um, and hard. And hard, yeah, no, it was, uh, I put on, I, I got up to 223 wow. pounds, you wow. know, and at the time I was walking around probably at 198, yeah. 199. And then, so, you know, to put on that, that kind of weight yeah. over the, over the year How and a half period. How did it feel like in life, that transformation, forgetting the character for yeah, a moment, yeah, yeah. being Will Smith and having this extra muscle, what does it feel like? You know, it was the first time I felt strong. Yeah. You know, I had gotten to a one rep max bench pressing of 365. Wow. During Ali. Wow. You know. Serious. And, yeah, and it was, I was like, in terms of my emotional transformation, it was the first time in my life that I felt I could defend myself. Yeah. You know, I had always felt fearful. I was, uh, I was a fearful child. I was always fearful. And I had played characters that were, you know, arrogant and strong and Mike Lowry, and, you know, try, I was playing those guys, but working on Ali and training with professional fighters was the first time that I actually realized I could defend myself. Yeah. You know, and it felt good yeah. To walk through an airport and not be not be scared. Yeah. And also yeah. I think when you add when you're physically strong, you also get a mental strength that's different. Yes. And it feels good. It, and it, it's yep. like a uh you can see things better. Absolutely. There's there's a certain calmness and certainty, and other people feel it too. And yeah. the world begins to move in yeah. different ways when when you feel strong within yourself that you know physical physical strength is absolutely the first step to mental and emotional endurance and, yeah. and power yeah and i think it's also closer to our natural state like as animals yes absolutely like if you weren't strong enough to take care of yourself in the wild, yes, you, you got to feel like survive. you can survive. Yeah. So now the way our lives are so, um, you know, temperature controlled, and mm -hmm. you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're we don't have that same strength that feels good to have. Absolutely. You know, that's uh, one of the things also that I'm I am trying to manage as I'm getting older. You know, I'm 54 now, so I used to be able to go to the gym for eight weeks and be in shape for a movie, and you know, now it's 12 or 16 weeks yeah. and I have to be careful with injury. So mm -hmm. there's a, there's a certain shift. It has to be lifestyle. Now I used yeah. to be able to get away yeah. with six months, one way, six months, the other way. And now I mm, bet it's going to feel good though. Yeah. It's, it'll it's feel gonna, way better. I bet it's going to be better. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This is good, man. It feels great. Thank yeah. you. And thank anytime, you for uh, stretching me a little bit. And anytime you want to, I'm down to talk. I love it. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you.